0: I think all throughout scripture we see that uh, those who are in fellowship with God through Christ are full of gratitude those who are out of fellowship with God are full of grumbling and uh, um, there's some grumbling in my soul that uh, that the Lord is is healing through the Lord uh, Jesus Christ man I love Sundays a favorite day of the week I was up this morning got to go to a Sunday school and man uh was able to hear some things taught that I just needed to hear. You know what I'm saying? We've sung some things together that I needed to be reminded of. How many of you have this morning through something that's going on as you've gathered in the name of the Lord with the people of God? You just needed, you needed. Today's a day of rest. But rest, as God is telling us, you know, on, on this day, rest is not doing nothing. Resting is recalibrating. And you need that in your life. Uh, Sunday is an important day for your soul, uh, particularly when uh, you spend the day doing what I believe God is encouraging us in his word to do, to gather, to sing, to pray, to be with, uh, with uh, people of God. And most every destructive thing in your life thrives on you being isolated from God and from other people, and every good thing uh, thrives in the midst of uh, fellowshipping with the Lord among the people of God. I'm going to ask you to do something uh, really important. And, and that's going to be to open up your Bible, right? This is better for your soul than uh, scrolling through TikTok. This is better for your soul than scrolling through Instagram. This is better for your soul than Lawrence Welk on Sunday night. Do they still do that? I'm trying to cover all my generational uh, bases. You know what I'm saying? And uh, all, all of those things that you give your attention to, they have an effect on your soul. You just need to know that. The podcasts you listen to, they affect your soul. The shows that you stream, they affect your soul. Only God's word can transform your soul. So uh, I'd love for you to join me in uh, the table of contents in your Bible. I'm really going to encourage you to do this because I want you to see some things for yourself, and and to do that, I want you to be able to join us right where we're going to be. So there are going to be two passages of Scripture that we're going to look at together. One's in the Old Testament, and then one's going to be in the New Testament. So I want us to get our bearings together. So uh, if you got your table of contents there, if you got a paper edition of the Bible, you can find that. Um, Old Testament book's going to be 1 Samuel. So if you got your books listed there, you see Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Then you see the book of 1 Samuel, and you find that book, and we're going to be in chapter 27. All right. So at the same time, we're going to be looking at a New Testament book. So you got your table of contents. So you see your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. That's going to be our New Testament book. And we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. I really believe that uh, the Holy Spirit of God will speak to you through the Word of God. So that's why we're taking a little bit of time here to get our uh, bearings. And I can remember a time in my life sitting in church, and somebody kind of doing what I'm doing would stand up to teach, and they would just sort of throw it out, we're going to be in First Samuel. And first, as someone who wasn't a follower of Jesus, and then second, as a young follower of Jesus, I never really knew, it took me some time, you know, to learn where those uh, books of the Bible are, and so I just want you to know, uh, if I can say it this way, somebody said this to me when that was the season of life I was in. it's, don't ever be ashamed to look in the table of contents, right? Just find your bearings. I, I think uh, it brings joy to the heart of God when somebody opens their table of contents because it's demonstrating to you, to to Him, that you want to hear what He says in His, in His Word. All right, so if you found 1 Samuel chapter twenty-seven, I'm going to invite you to stand. Uh, That's this way of kind of together we're giving honor to the Lord in his word. And in 1 Samuel 27, verse number 1, and we'll read together right now uh, the first four verses to to get going. Then David said in his heart, now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. Now, now real quick, we're going to keep reading, but I want you to hear. David said something in his heart. He says, I need to do this, and if I do this, there's a certain result that's going to come from that. So David's making a plan for his safety, for his well-being. And who's David making the plan with? David's making the plan with himself. And who's get, who's David getting the plan from? David's also getting the plan from himself. I've said this before, but I'll say it again. Nobody talks to you more than you, and nobody talks to you about you more than you. You really need to reckon in your life if you and you alone are a trustworthy counselor for you, right? So David's made his plan. Do You notice his plan is to go to the land of the Philistines. So, verse 2, it's just not idle talk. David's going to do it. David arose and went over, he and 600 men who were with him, His decisions affect other people, to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. And David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel, and Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow. And when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. Let's pray together. Father, now what what really you um, want us to know from Scripture, I pray that's what we hear. I thank you for your word and really is what we need to understand reality accurately, to understand ourselves accurately, to understand you. And so in humility, we are asking that, but the Holy Spirit desires for us to understand when this passage was written is the message that we proclaim and not just the message we proclaim, but really think about, trust, live in light of, obey, Treasure and, uh, and share with other people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, Pastor Blake called our attention to the fighter verse at the start of the service, right? Uh, uh, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by grace through the redemption that is found in Jesus Christ. Now, in the Bible, right after the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, sinned, what does that mean? They sinned. At the heart of it, it means that they desire to be God instead of God. Eat this fruit and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And, and so, so it's really the creation saying to the creator, We're good, don't need you, don't want you. We got this under control. We'll do what we want, right? Which is a pretty audacious thing for creatures to say to the creator, We'll replace you as God. So that's not some age old certain thing in the past that's alive and well right now. That's, that's, the, that's the desire of sinful heart is to live apart from God, if not make God subservient to our desires, right? That's the testimony of Scripture. And then when God confronts Adam and Eve after they have sinned, He asks them a question. And it is such a significant question. And I really want you to think about the question. It's just three words, to the question, right? After they've sinned. and here, Here's the question. God asks it. First words he speaks to Adam and Eve after they have sinned. You know what the question is? Here it is. Where are you? Where are you? We won't go back and look at the verses in detail, but, but what you need to know is they don't ever answer, really answer the question. They don't really actually give an answer. And I would guess that most human beings don't ever really answer the question. But I want you and I to have the humility before the Lord to say, if that's what he asks after the fall, it must be a really important question, right? And so I would ask it to you. Where are you? Now, an accurate accurate answer, had Adam and Eve answered the question accurately, would be, we are cut off from the God who made us, covering ourselves with solutions of our own making at odds with one another, alone, angry, cut off. That that would have been the accurate answer. And that will always be where human beings are, apart from the grace of God. Where are you I think that's a question you should ask every Sunday one of the most helpful things you can do is: so where am I right now where, where am I headed what am I doing am I living the life that Christ was crucified buried raised and ascended to to live that would be a good question for David to think about here in first Samuel 27 he's been through a lot uh and in this particular season, he's, uh, he's hurt and he's disappointed. I've got a couple of, uh, I think about four kind of primary points I want to make. And we'll start with this one. Start with this one. Uh, the choices that we make when we are hurt and disappointed are among the most important choices we will ever make. So we're in 1 Samuel 27. If we went back two years just hypothetical, but if we went back two years and asked David, what is the last, where is the last place on earth you would ever put down roots? Do you know what he would have said? He would have said, probably Gath. What is where is Gath? That's have uh, been tracking along with it, we've been studying through David's life. Who comes from Gath? Goliath does, right? Gath is the hometown of Goliath. And so there is a way when we're reading the scripture, as we were reading 1 Samuel 27, and and we said, there is nothing, when David says, there's nothing better for me that I should escape to the land of the Philistines, we all should have said, what? What is he talking about? So, So David has decided he's going to put roots down among his enemies. That's what David's decided to do. When does he decide to do it? When he's hurt. And when he's disappointed. Stress, y'all. This is why The Bible's helpful. <laughs> Stress and suffering has the potential to lead you to do things you thought you would never do. Can I get an amen? Stress and suffering will lead you to do things that you'd never thought you'd do. So for first word in chapter 27, verse 1. Then. So there's a particular moment when David decides to do that. When is the then? Well, we haven't studied through uh, 1 Samuel 26. I mean, studying through David's life, he, there's more biographical information about David than anybody in the Old Testament. So, uh, so it's hard if we're going to uh, cover, it's hard to cover everything. But, but we do want to at least say uh, in chapter 26, if, you, if you've got uh, titles to your uh, chapters, editors added that at a later date, right? But you see it says, David spares a Saul again. So the then comes in an again moment. Can we just talk about that for a moment? David makes this decision after showing kindness to Saul again. David makes this decision after waiting on God to bring his promises to pass, but not feeling like it's happening again. David makes this decision after trying to honor and obey God and do the right thing, and it's seemingly getting him nowhere, can we say it together? Again. Ever been there? Some of us might answer the question, where are you, by saying, I'm right there. Right there. Have you ever hoped so deeply and prayed so much for something to happen and then it didn't happen? I think a word that we might be able to use to describe David, if you could pick one word, I think the word would be David is exhausted. by the way, this is why you need some trustworthy counselors in your life. This is why you need a church family, but, but this is why you, you need, I just kind of jotted down on my notes, you probably need at least two people in your life that you give permission to speak some truth to you at times. Do you know what I mean? Not, not just, hey, let's catch up or other people in your life that can help you answer the question, where are you? Because here's the default setting. We're learning it from scripture. After the fall, after sin has entered our lives, number one, we don't really want to answer that question. And number two, we don't really want anybody else asking us that question. So this kind of the default setting of the sinful human heart. is We're just going to get through life and you're just going to keep going and you don't really wrestle with the question because sometimes you don't really want to it's not that you don't know the answer. You might not know when it's fully, but you've got a pretty good idea and you just keep kind of pressing that question down. Do you know what I'm saying? But you can only do that for so long until it kind of catches up with you. And David, it is catching up with him. So you need some people in your life that and you might just have to flat out say, I am giving you permission. I'm telling you that I need this, godly counselors in my life. The proverb says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire and breaks out against all sound judgment. Now, a mark of a healthy church, and we want to be one, is that you wouldn't have to necessarily leave this room to find those kinds of counselors. Because David's going to make a decision, and it's going to hurt a lot of people. And it's going to hurt him, and he's going to do it really believing he's making the right decision. So that's his plan, and uh, next point is hurt and disappointment. Often lead to resentment. But God can work through the hurt and disappointment to foster contentment. All right. So those are the two things that the remainder of the message we're going to kind of pose against one another: resentment or contentment. Now I was going to encourage you in this way. I think this is an encouragement. In my life, it's often a reality check. There isn't any contentment outside of Christ. So if you're trying to find contentment somewhere other than Christ. You'll, you're never really going to find it. So, so again, uh, hey y'all, this, uh, the, the most common advice we hear in the world is follow your own what? Heart. That's what David is doing. I want you to see that. That's what David is doing and it is not going to lead to good things. And it didn't lead to good things in his life. It's not going to lead to good things in, in, in your life. Hurt and disappointment often lead to to resentment. Hey, uh, I'm kind of wanting to hold a couple things at, the, uh, at, at a time. Is One, David's making a really bad decision, but I also want us to hold some compassion for him, right? And He's been through it, y'all. Things have not been fair to him. He, he's been on the run. I mean, talking about the stress of somebody, the most powerful man in the country, Saul, wants him dead. Stress of that. The, the decision is made in verse 2. It, it might not come across so strongly in English, but in the original Hebrew, it's, a, it's kind of decisive where it says in verse 2, So David arose and went over. And in the Hebrew, that's a, a really emphatic, decisive moment. He's like, I've been mulling it over. I've been thinking about it. And now he rises up and goes over. So let's kind of break this down a little bit uh, in verse 1, what goes into that decisive moment. So, uh, verse 1, then David said in his heart, all right, so who's talking to who? Cover this a little bit, but do do it quickly. This is not God speaking to David. We've seen other moments in his life where God says, hey, you need to go here. You need to do this. That's not what's happening here. We do need to see that. So it's not God speaking to David, and it's also, y'all, it's not David speaking to God. Spoiler alert, in all of 1 Samuel 27, God's not mentioned at all. His name will never come up. So it's not God speaking to David. It's not David speaking to God. This is David speaking to David. Like Martin Lloyd-Jones, love to read his books. I, I think you'd be helped by them, particularly one of his books entitled Spiritual Depression. So if you're in that season of life where things are hard, overwhelming, and you say, I'm just about flat out exhausted, I'd really encourage you to to read that book. And one of the points that uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones makes in the book, Spiritual Depression, is that you need to learn how to talk to yourself instead of listening to yourself. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but really what he's saying is to to talk to yourself in light of what God says in his word, not listen to yourself in light of your sin nature. That sense. So David is again doing what we're told a thousand times a day to do. He's, he's following his heart. He's trusting his gut. He's trusting his instincts. And as he's having that conversation with himself, he says, now, this is after an act of great kindness. Remember 26, he's again showed kindness to Saul. He's again refused to do to Saul what Saul's trying to do to him. And can I just say parenthetically, y'all, if, if you really trust and obey the Lord, life's not going to be easy. It's going to be very, very difficult. And he says, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. Now, is that true? Is that true? David tells himself that the very thing God has promised won't happen will happen. And that could happen in your life too. It happened in your life too. David's just so beaten down. God has promised, right? God has promised that David will be the next king of Israel. I think that's one of the motivating factors for David's life when he faces Goliath, right? I mean, if, if David is going to be the next king of Israel, he can fight Goliath in great confidence. Is Goliath going to be able to kill him? Of course not. He can face Goliath on the basis of God's promise. But here's the reality for us in the world. And this might be true for you. There was a day in your life you trusted and treasured the promises of God more than you are right now. It be true. That's why I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that I will stand redeemed fully in the presence of God. Not on the basis of my ability to maintain my grip on him but by his grace maintaining his grip on me now I also want you to know I have to tell myself this often too, as well just because David doesn't feel like God's gonna bring his promise to pass doesn't mean <clears throat> mean God won't And be very careful in your life from living primarily in accordance with your feelings. You'll feel things all the time that aren't true. This is, by the way, why we need to be gentle and patient with each other. One of the reasons that sometimes, not even in church life, but especially in church life, that we don't say an answer to the question, where are you, is because we think if we really answer that question, everybody around us in the church will say, what in the world's wrong with you, right? Because you might feel some sort of pressure to have it all figured out and all together, but y'all, life's just not that way. If uh, you go to the YMCA here in town, there's this whole line of uh, treadmills and ellipticals. And if you stand at the distance, you can see some people seem like they're moving really slow, and some people seem like they're moving really fast. But what you can't see is the resistance level that the machine is on. So what I'm getting at is, we're not, we're not really all that great at looking at other people's lives and seeing, oh, they should be going faster or they should be going slower. Now, you need counselors in your life, right? But, man, you've got to be patient. There's probably nobody in this room who's sitting on a pew that on that pew from one end to the other somebody is hanging by a thread. You never know the full scope of what somebody is enduring. So the church, man, we want to love each other and love the Lord in such a way that this is a refuge that preserves us from fleeing to Gath, not a place where you're told over and over you belong in Gath if you can't get your act together. Amen? And then he says, "In this kind of blows me away that the author of Psalm 23, for example, says this, there's nothing better for me than I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Wow. David looks for refuge among the enemy. David's trust has shifted from being in the Lord to being in the Philistines. And here's what's exhausting him. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. Y'all ready for it to get even a little more complicated? David's hope is if he does this, Saul will stop looking for him. And according to verse 4, that actually happens. It says in verse 4, when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him he said well doesn't that mean David's plan worked our, our hearts can be really deceived by momentary hopes that will in time fade because, because David has gone over and David's there 600 men come with all their household. Both of his wives are there. Talked about that compromise last time we were in David's life. A lot of people who are there. But listen to me very carefully. But God's not there. And y'all, it doesn't matter who is there if God's not there. And now David has tricked himself. what well, the Bible talks about it. you can be self-deceived. Look at verse 5. David said to Achish, he's the leader of the Philistines, y'all. If I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be given me in one of the country towns that I may dwell there. I want to pause here for just a moment because I think I think that the geography of David's path is the exact spiritual path that some of us in the room have followed, traveled, and are in right now. Because life is full of suffering and because life is really difficult, you can end up out of resentment. You know, we we're going to say these words out loud. In fact, resentment against God makes some decisions that lead you to a place that feels safe when, in fact, it isn't. All you got to do is keep reading, and what you'll see is that this so called refuge is actually a snare. Is this where you are? It's been a thousand days in your life since you had a uh, reverent, deep, life-affecting moment with the Lord. Even everything on the outside looks on the up and up. But if you really answered the question, where are you? Man, I'm a thousand miles away from the Lord. Now David is beginning to live a life without reference to God, believing that he's secure. Now, you don't have to go any further than 1 Samuel 30, verse 4. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. It's not going to be a safe place, is, is the point. But That's where resentment can carry us. Friends, resentment will lead you there. Pride will keep you there. And it's at this moment we're going to pivot and I want to give you what I think are the two best words in the Bible when they're put side by side. A little bit of good news. David's kind of quit on God for a little bit, but God hasn't quit on him. And I want you to know that about your life as well. Even if you have resentment built up against because, because probably all of us to some degree or another will be able to say this, life hasn't turned out the way that we thought that it was. For some of us, that's kind of true. For others of us, man, ugh, that's like the defining characteristic of life for us. This is not what I thought it was going to be. But God is not done with David. And it's at this point that I want to give you a couple things to hold on to. Here's the two words. And I'm going to read several scriptures where these words are put side by side. And they're, they're the words, but God, right? But God. So just listen, just listen for a moment. Just listen to your Father speak to you, your Heavenly Father through, through Scripture. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's Psalm 73, 26. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Genesis fifty twenty says Joseph, after much suffering, says to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Acts three fifteen. you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You were dead, Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses and and sins in which we once all walked. We're all by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy, even when we were dead, he made us alive together with him. So I do want to say emphatically to you, however you might answer the question, where are you? It doesn't have to stay that way. As a matter of fact, that's the whole reason God showed up. Amazing grace that after they sinned against Him, God showed up. He knows where they are. He's not asking them because He doesn't know. He's asking them because they haven't yet realized where they are. Now, I don't know. how many of you are going to have Thanksgiving dinner, going to sit at the table, catch up with some, some friends? What, uh, uh, I, I don't know if I'll have this opportunity. I think so. I think so. But one of the things I would love to see in heaven is be able to sit at a table with my two favorites, David of the Old Testament and Paul of the New Testament. Those two men's lives are my favorite in all of the, of the Bible. So what we're going to do for just a few minutes is, is Paul, in the letter of Philippians, that's so why I asked you to get there earlier, I think he would offer counsel to David in 1 Samuel 27. Like, you need a trustworthy counselor in your life. And by the way, here's how you can measure a trustworthy counselor. It's how long does it take him to get you counsel from the Scripture, right? So, so Philippians chapter 4 is where I want us to... To, to turn. Philippians chapter 4, and as I was thinking about David's dilemma in 1 Samuel 27, where he was going to refuge, I kind of thought to myself, Philippians 4 verses 11 to 13 is a, uh, is a fantastic passage that, that offers counsel to anybody who feels as David felt in 1 Samuel 27, which I believe is all of us. So Philippians chapter 4 verse 11, Paul's writing, he says, now Now that I'm speaking, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All right, Paul's writing that letter in the midst of the 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 greatest comfort that the Roman Empire could offer somebody. I mean, he has just got three amazing meals a day. No, of course not. But Paul's writing this letter, what we just read. He's writing it falsely imprisoned, unjustly accused, not knowing as he writes the letter whether or not they'll carry out a death sentence uh, against him. And in that situation, he says, I'm content. So I want to define contentment for us for for a moment. Contentment is moving from anger to peace, from frustration to satisfaction, and from anxiety to trust. I heard uh, Colin Smith, one of the authors and preachers I like to read and listen to, define it that way. It's moving from anger to peace, from frustration to satisfaction, and from anxiety to trust. I don't know if you know much about Paul in his time in Philippi. He had visited this city that he wrote a letter to, and it's interesting, within, 20, within about 24 hours, he's staying at Lydia's house, who's the wealthiest woman in town. She offers him room after Paul shares the gospel with her, and then within 24 hours, Paul is in prison, in, locked up in chains in Philippi. Right? So, so they would have known, probably as they were gathered together and somebody was reading this letter out loud, they would have thought back to that. Well, I'm, Paul's right, man. I mean, uh, did he stop singing when he got in prison? No. In fact, the, jail, you know, the interesting thing is, is the letters read to the, to the church, The uh, Lydia's probably sitting there, and the jailer who was converted when Paul was in prison, he and Silas and singing to, to the Lord. So this isn't somebody just kind of saying some nice things. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. This must mean is that contentment, peace, satisfaction, and trust must not be the resulting effects of your circumstances. Contentment is something you can have no matter your circumstances. I confess to you, a lot easier to say than believe. But I am going to ask you, do you believe that? Because here's the snare of the enemy. Believe that contentment you'll, is something you'll have when the circumstances are good. So I'm going to put this phrase on the screen from what Paul says, and then we'll just talk about it just for a few minutes. But man... Bring some thankfulness to your Thanksgiving week and actually thankfulness to your, to your life. Paul says, For I have learned in whatever situation I am, be, am to be content. So, a mature follower of Jesus is content. A maturing follower of Jesus is a content person. And, and, and by the way, this is one of the great uh, uh, tools that can be a witness the power of the gospel in the generation that we live in, because we live in a very discontent generation. I've quoted Martin Lloyd-Jones once already, so let's do it a second time. He says, if we want to feel as Paul felt, we must live as Paul lived. And Paul tells us how he lives in chapter one of Philippians, verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's on the basis of that verse that I said earlier, you're never going to find contentment outside of Christ. You're not. What is living to you? For me to live is, and maybe you fill in the blank. But I, but I encourage you that if, if you say something other than Christ, friend, dying's not going to be gain. For me to live is Christ, therefore to die is gain. Meaning when Paul dies, he just gets more of what he already loves, namely Christ. But for you to live as money, or for you to live as pleasure, or for you to live as entertainment, for you to live as status, for you to live as any number of other things, then dying won't be gain. Contentment is only going to be possible for those who love Christ above all things. So long as we love ourselves more than we love Christ, contentment is a mirage, it's something promised but never acquired. And I want to say that because we're about to enter "Gotta Have It" season. Made your list, checked it twice. When I was a kid, about this time, Sears Wish Book showed up in the mail. Right? Here's all the things that I could. So, um, this answer this question or fill into this blank. My life would be so much better if. How would you honestly answer that question? Paul would answer, my life is so much better because I've counted all things, Philippians, counted all things loss next to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Encouragement though for us, can we put the phrase back on the screen? He does not say, I am naturally inclined to be content. That's not what he says. You see the verb? What's the verb? I had to learn this. You want kind of a weighty Bible truth? You ready for it? Weighty Bible truth. The only way you'll ever learn contentment is through enduring the very same circumstances that can lead to resentment. You're going to suffer. In this world, Jesus promises, you will have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. That's that's the promise. I mean, you're going to go through some hard things. You're going to go through some things that you're going to say, why, why did God let this come into my life? Does he hate me? Has he abandoned me? Contentment is a grace learned over time. Paul said it's something he had to learn. And I'm going to tell you, uh, I, I really believe that learning is really painful. Contentment doesn't come naturally. It doesn't come quickly. It doesn't come easily. Most of us never get to contentment because we found a false refuge that we've gone to like Gath. You're living in Gath and saying, this Gath is going to give me contentment. Gath won't, but sometimes we trust that it will. How did Paul learn it? Well, we... How can you learn it? The good thing about this, I don't think we have to leave Philippians 4. Look, look in verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is true, Saul's going to take my life. It's actually not true. Whatever is honorable, I'm going to get up and go to Gath. won't leave the borders of Israel. Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, here's your word, think about these things. God's given you a remarkable ability. You get to choose. You get to choose what you place your attention on. What are the good things in your life? What are, the, what are the blessings God has given you? What are the good things God has done for you? What are the good things about your work, your home, your city, your church? Think about these things. Man, I was riding around town the other day and pulled up to the stoplight and this truck pulled up beside me and it was, the base was thumping. I thought my windshield was going to break. And I just kind of thought to myself, that was, a, that, that was an intentional decision on this driver's part. To turn something up. you got to turn some things up in your life. Turn some attention up in your life. What do you turn up in your thoughts? What's true? What's honorable? It's just, this is not just... Uh, Blind optimism. I mean, has Christ been crucified for you? Yes. Is he going to return? He's promised to. Is the Holy Spirit alive in your life? Whatever situation I've learned. Whatever situation. You know the interesting thing about David's life? He makes two big mistakes. The first one we're reading about in 1 Samuel 27. You know what the second time that he made a huge mistake was when everything was perfect. 2 Samuel 11, springtime of the year when the kings go out to battle, David sent Joab. And late one afternoon, while he had all the stuff that he must have thought in 1 Samuel 27 would be so great to have, he arose from his couch, and then he he throws his life into such sinful darkness. The pit has temptations, but friends, so does the palace. Because in both places, the pinnacle, the mountain peak, and the depth of the valley, you're going to be tempted to forget about God. Contentment does not mean that you're indifferent to your circumstances. This is a fatalism that Paul is arguing for. Work to better your circumstances, of course. It means you're not controlled by your circumstances. Had some disappointments. He tells us that not once, twice, three times. I asked God for help with a thorn in my flesh, and no doubt Paul prayed. He begged God to change the circumstances, and God did not. But God did say, "My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness." Where are you? Where are you? Look what Paul says in verse 13. Come to a conclusion. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, this is a verse that's quoted a lot, but I want us to study it in context. I can do all things through Christ. What is Paul saying? He's he's the all things is a reference back to the broad high, broad low, right? I can do all things. In other words, I can I can thrive in abiding in Christ when I'm at Lydia's house, but if I get thrown in the prison in in uh, uh, Philippi, (laughs) he doesn't say, "Well, I'm done with the Lord." He says, "I can do all things through Christ." Through him who strengthens me. Now, if we go back to 1 Samuel 27. David, David just ran out of strength. He did. And you're going to too. You don't have enough strength. You don't have enough strength. That's the point that Paul's making here. Contentment comes only when you realize you don't have the strength. Now, when that happens, you can go to despair, but that's not the end of the story. God, God does. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. A.W. Tozer, let's read you this quote. I don't have it to put on the screen, so you're gonna have to go old school and really listen to the quote. He says, I think a new world will arise out of the religious mists When we approach our Bible with the idea that it is not only a book which was once spoken, but a book that is now speaking, God's speaking is in the continuous present. A word of God once spoken continues to be spoken. So here's the conclusion David was deeply hurt, David was disappointed. David was exhausted. He made a poor decision. He looked for refuge in the wrong place. He began to doubt the promises of God and of God's love and concern for him. And we're just like him. But God did not leave him there. Where you are does not have to be where you remain. My heart And my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Let's stand together and we'll pray together. Seek the Lord and respond together. you bow your heads with me? And now we enter an important moment where we're going to respond by the leading of the Holy Spirit to what we've heard from God's Word. Really, we just want to zero in on one particular response. And that's for those in the room who are a thousand miles away from God. And if you kind of go back in your mind and, and revisit what led to that reality being true this morning, especially speaking to you if it's because of a deep hurt, long term hardship and suffering, I want you to know that we open up the Bible and we see that that could happen. It happened in somebody's life. So I'm going to say some things and I'm going to ask for you, if that's your life right now, if that's your situation, to ask God to help you believe some things. Number one, God is good. He is good. He is just. He is holy. He is true. He's all the things that Paul says, set your mind on. and I believe those things are true even if Right here this morning, it doesn't feel to you that those things are true. So take... see, God would help us if your feet are planted in gaff to look to the cross. So we have a king who... Suffered too. You can ask God that question. I think He'd give you the permission. His first question, where are you? You can ask that question to Him. Now I want you to answer it as you look at the cross. Where are you, God? Where are you, God? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Father, there are some things going on in our lives that uh, we don't need a pithy answer. We don't need a a quick three-point outline. I mean, life is hard, suffering. Sometimes it feels like you're, you're not bringing your promise to pass. There are times in our lives that gaff, it feels like gaff would be better than this. So Father, in accordance with Scripture, I want to confess some things that are true of my own life. I'm prone to look for refuge, help, and hope in the wrong place. So draw me near to the crucified Savior. The one who has suffered and died, laid down his life. And says he's the one that can strengthen us. Father, I pray that we'd have a contentment that is in accordance with the crucified king. Thank you for Jesus. We set our hope on Jesus. Lead us as we pray. Increase our trustworthy counselors. We look to you together in Jesus' name. Amen.